For most people, going to the local grocery store is one of the most comfortable things you can do. Even better if you can get there by taking a neighborhood walk that you've done countless times before. For Christine, this routine Trader Joe's cheese crunchies run was interrupted by one of the more damaging side effects of the pandemic, anti-Asian hate. Incidents like Christine's have become a fixture in the national news these past few years, as COVID-influenced prejudice has been channeled towards Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in particular. But rarely do we hear how pervasive getting up close and personal with hatred can be, especially when it happens so close to home. I'm Tai Chu, and this is Listen for a Change, a podcast amplifying the unique stories from the invisible among us. We find the voices you don't often hear, we empower them to heal around their experience using storytelling, and we turn up the volume to open up all of our hearts and minds. This isn't just storytelling, this is an intervention to restore compassion. Christine told her story at our April 2022 San Francisco Story Hour. Here now, we walk through it again. I needed to get the cheese crunchies from Trader Joe's and also definitely the blueberry goat cheese log because if you know, you know, it is the best cheese at Trader Joe's and it had been such a year for me. Um, It was a year of really stepping into the fullness and also the abundance of life, both for me and for my community. It is the end of 2021. Um, in my work in nonprofit and also in working in grassroots organizations like with Hate is a Virus, we saw so much happening in the AAPI community um, in response to the anti-Asian violence with COVID-19. Um, but we also saw so much resilience, so much community coming together. Um, and it was just a very full and abundant year. For me personally, it was a glow up year. Um, In a very short amount of time, I was able to be promoted at work. I got both engaged and married. And yeah, I was just really stepping into the fullness and power of who I am as an Asian American woman. And so on the 27th day of December, as the year was coming to a close, I needed to go get that cheese from Trader Joe's just to celebrate the end of the year. Um, I said goodbye to my husband. He said, you know, be safe, see you soon. And off I went. I am, you know, w- making my way down market in San Francisco when all of a sudden behind me, I hear someone yell and they said, move out of my way, bitch. And I I paused. I said, this person cannot possibly be talking to me. All I'm doing is walking down the street. So I turn, and as I turn to, to look at this person, it's this man yelling at me and saying, oh, you're a slant-eyed bitch. You can't even see where you're going. And all of my senses just 
go into high alert and I suddenly become very aware and very conscious of this identity that I hold as an Asian American woman and everything that's been happening to people who look like me. And so I stop, I pause, I try to get some distance between the two of us and we make it to the cross rock and we go our separate ways. And I just immediately book it to get to the safety of Trader Joe's. And there's a part of me that just can't believe that this has actually happened. Like, I know about this in my work. I see it all the time. I'm supporting other people who have gone through similar experiences. But for me to go through it myself, I didn't know what to do, what to say. I felt frozen. And in the days that came, I just kept playing that incident back in my head. What would have happened if I if I said something different or if I did something different? Um, yeah, it, it was all very confusing and very jarring for me to actually go through that myself. You know, I really wrestled with the intention behind the questions that people asked me, like, were you walking by yourself? Where were you? Um, yeah, like, and, and just not quite knowing if there was something that I should have done differently or what it is about my identity that made it feel like it was okay for other people to express this kind of aggression towards me for simply walking down the street. I noticed as my husband's um, wishes for me as I left the house changed to, you know, be careful. Don't stand too close to um, the edge of the subway or you know, make sure that you're bringing um, your pepper spray with you. And yeah, I just felt how much more cautious I needed to be just existing and moving through the world. A couple weeks later, um, one morning, I got a flood of texts on my phone asking, hey, did you see what happened? Are you okay? I just want to check in with you. Um did you see the news? And so naturally I turned to my my most trustworthy news source, which is of course my Instagram feed, to see what was happening in the community. And as I'm scrolling through, I see the face of Michelle Goh, a 40-year-old Asian woman living in New York who was tragically pushed to her death in front of a subway train as she was waiting to to make her way home. And I stared at her face for what felt like a lifetime. And all I could think about was, that could have been me. That could have been my friend, my sister, my mother. I saw in, the, in her face all the people that I care so deeply about and thought that could have been me, that could have been us for simply existing, for simply waiting to catch the bus home. And I wondered 
again, what is it about me? What is it about us as women, as Asian women, in our existence as we move through the world that makes other people feel like it is okay to be aggressive, to be violent towards us, to the point of taking our life for simply just trying to be. I did what I knew what to do with all of it. And the best way I could process it was by trying to give back to my community Um, I held healing circles. I talked with friends. I got as involved as I could to try and figure out and try to make sense of everything that was happening. And yet, just a couple weeks after that, as I was taking my usual path through my neighborhood park, um, I came across another man who was yelling at me as I was running by. I couldn't tell you what they were actually saying to me because all I could think about was I need to get to safety. I need to be safe. As I heard this man's voice following behind me as he continued to yell profanities at me. And I make it out of the park I make it home and I just, I just completely collapse. It feels too much. It brought up too much for me in my body, in all the emotions that came with just feeling so unsafe living in my own skin. And it was so much that I, I couldn't deal with it. I, I pushed it all down. I said, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm just going to focus on my work and that's it. I cannot process with everything that's happening for me. Um, and so many, many healing circles later for other people, many workshops and leading space and holding space for other people later. Um I find myself one night having not left my apartment for for several days, both a little bit out of fear for for being outside in my own neighborhood and also because we're still in pandemic life. So um, yeah, having been at home for many days and having just finished facilitating um, a women's circle my husband and I went outside to get dinner from a, a local neighborhood restaurant, like two blocks from our place. And we step outside and it feels so good to feel the cold wind on my face, to get some movement in my body. Um, we pick up dinner. We're heading back to our apartment. And at this point, it's already dark outside. Um and we're maybe a block away from, from our home, coming up a hill, when all of a sudden out of the darkness, I hear someone yell, excuse me. And my entire body just freezes. It completely shuts down. And I think to myself, this person cannot be talking to me 
I am literally just walking down the street. And before I can process anything else, I hear my husband go, oh, did you see that? Did you see what happened? Turns out this man was just yelling at a car that had driven by too fast. But for me, it was too much. It brought me right back to that place again where I felt unsafe, where I felt all that trauma rising up in my body. And I just held on to my husband as I felt my body and my spirit just collapse. I could not understand why it felt so unsafe to be me. And since that time, there hasn't really been any resolution necessarily or, you know, happy silver lining. I think this story is still very much in process and in progress as I I wrestle with my identity and wrestle with what it means to be an Asian American woman in America right now. I continue to wrestle with the feeling of what it's like to, to live and to exist in my body and to, to be in the fullness and in the power of who I am while also recognizing that the world that we live in doesn't always make it feel safe to do so. I've really realized and tried to understand how, you know, despite this being such a common occurrence as a collective, something that so many of us have experienced and gone through, that it still doesn't take away from the very valid um, fear and experience that I uniquely went through, that my story still matters, how I'm understanding and processing my story still matters. And that there is hope that one day I really, truly believe that we are all working towards and, and building a world where everyone, people like me and anyone else who has ever felt unsafe can exist in this world in the fullness of who they are and, and feel safe, whether that is going through the park or walking down the street or just going to Trader Joe's to, to get some cheese to celebrate the end of the year. Right. Christine, it is so good to hear from you again. How have you been? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's such an honor. Um, how have I been? I feel like that answer changes with every day. 
Right. But today, yes. But today in this present moment, I am, I'm well, I'm grateful to, to be holding and sharing this space with you. Yeah. And I, I so appreciate you sharing your story. And this is the first time that we have had a storyteller share on this particular topic of AAPI discrimination um, and hate. And in, in re-listening to your story, because I heard it the first time at that story hour and I was so moved by it, it had me wondering, it's taken a while for, I mean, really you know, like my whole lifetime, at least as an Asian American male, I don't think that society has addressed AAPI discrimination the way that it is kind of um, coming to light now. Have you thought about like why it's, you feel like it's taken so long for people to take notice, why the news and media hasn't really acknowledged the discrimination that's happened to AAPI communities until more recently? Yeah, definitely. I think about it a lot, both in my work, but definitely after, you know, these experiences that I have had, I think growing up as an Asian American woman, there's so many ways that even just culturally we're taught to to keep our head down, to not make waves. And I think even more so when it comes to this narrative around race and racism and hate, discrimination, it's hard to really name because I I think that there's a lot of ways that, you know, we've taught, we've been taught to be silent and to not name those things or ways that I think, you know, things like the model minority myth where we've been taught that if we just assimilate well and we work really hard and we can achieve, you know, the things that we can achieve success just by working harder and all of those things that will be okay. Um, And I think with what has happened with COVID-19, it is one of those moments that really showed us how deeply rooted racism and discrimination towards the Asian American community still exists, but maybe just hasn't had an opportunity to really enter into the social dialogue. Um, I think a lot of times we see it very present within conversations around like Black Lives Matter and and for and I think for Asian Americans, it's like the way that racism and hate impacts us is very different. Um, and I think we're kind of going through this awakening right now in our generation of being able to to name experiences that I honestly think so many of us have had, but just haven't had the space to really acknowledge or to even be able to say and look at that and be like, oh, that was racism or like that was really hateful. You know, you talk about how, you know, growing up as an Asian American woman, you experience stuff like this throughout, you know, it's not new. And mm-hmm. even in this story that you shared in a relatively short amount of time, you experience a couple like moments of aggression towards you. What, I mean, share share a little bit more if you can. This can't have been the first time. Like when was, do you remember when the first time you really became aware of the fact that you were different and that there were people out there who would discriminate against you based on your particular identity? Hmm. Yeah, what a great question. Well, it's not 
maybe the first time, (laughs) one of the first times that I can remember was even back in in grade school and in high school. And I mean, I think this is one of the challenges, right, for the Asian American community is sometimes that racism or that hate is so subtle. And so many of us just push it down or internalize it. And I know that's definitely my experience was I thought it was just normal for a really long time. So for example, like being in, um, in grade school and I was always one of the kids who had a hot lunch because my parents would pack me like rice and like whatever stir fry they made or like really amazing and delicious like Chinese food. Looking back, I'm like, wow, I was so fortunate. But in that time, it was like such a nuisance or people would like point out how it smelled and it became this thing. And like slowly but surely I learned like, oh, these are parts of me or my culture that I need to tuck away or make it more palatable. Um, And then being in high school, you know, I went to um, the high school in my town that was more Asian. I think we were like 30% Asian compared to like 15% Asian. And always there'd be conversations about like, why is our school, why is our school so Asian? Like, and even the Asians were saying it right in this like almost self-deprecating way. And with this connotation of like, it's negative or bad somehow that the only sports we were good at were sports that were typically considered Asian, like badminton or tennis. um, And that somehow that took away from our achievements or accomplishments and all these small Seemingly small things taught me to just keep putting myself into a smaller and smaller box. And I actually think the the moment I really realized that that had happened was as more of an adult, I stepped more into like my voice and who I really am without the limitations that other people were putting on me and started questioning like, why why have I seen my identity as an Asian woman or as an Asian, as a Chinese person or as a woman? Why have I seen those things as as negative or as something that hinders me versus something that makes me who I am and that is brilliant and vibrant and actually contributes to the conversation and contributes to the world and the community that I'm a part of. Um, So yeah, I think like seeing that contrast and being able to give myself more life and space to occupy um, helped me name those, those small ways that I've put myself into a little box. I'm, as you're talking, I'm hearing you reference a lot about how you, in many ways, were almost safeguarding yourself and and kind of like hiding from potential acts of discrimination before it was even you know allowed to exist in the world. Do you think that there is maybe speaking for yourself any sort of internalized discrimination that you started to learn? Um, maybe as a way to protect yourself or whatever, because it it sounds like, you know, it if I had these things happening to me, I would want to kind of shy away from making them obvious to the world. Mm, yeah, I think dis- discovery and I think a lifelong exploration for us of the multitudes that we are, right? 
the multitude of identities that we hold, the way that they intersect together, the way that they express themselves in our lifetime um, at different seasons. And I think definitely two of those huge identities for me is being Asian and is being a woman and then also being an Asian American woman, right? So like culturally, what does that mean for me? Um, So many ways that, you know, I was taught being too loud, being too opinionated as an Asian American woman was not okay. Um, Expressing my needs as an Asian American woman was also seen as like not okay or too much. Um, And then it also doesn't help that I am a type two Enneagram for any of those who follow Enneagram. Type twos are the helper, the giver. We always put other people's needs before our own. We don't even acknowledge that we have needs. So like pairing that with these other identities of mine, I was taught to like always make space for others, that me taking up space was Um, going to be an inconvenience or me naming and being outspoken about not just my needs, but the needs of other people who look like me, who have had similar experiences to me. I think I've, it took me a really long time to, um, to really own that my voice is my power. Um, Because there were, there were many times growing up where I was taught the opposite, right? Or times where I did speak up and um, I was silenced or when I was really proud of my culture and my identity and my family and was responded to with like, that's weird or um, made to feel like an outsider. And I think in a lot of those ways, while maybe that racism or hate is not as like openly and as open or as blatant as we may see in other communities, those are all, each of those I think I see as small moments where it taught me something and and I internalized that about my own identity. Um, and that really impacted the way that I, yeah, I showed up for myself and, and how I showed up in the world. And power to you for that, because I, I can tell you your voice in this story and you sharing the story I relate to it and I can only imagine the number of people out there who are able to relate to this type of experience. And in hearing you talk, I mean, you know, you and I, we know each other outside of the podcasting and listen for a change world as well. And so I know a little bit about you personally, but it it makes me think of my parents and you've already referenced your parents um, and your family um, and how their experience was so different in so many ways and how AAPI hate and discrimination looked different for them as well. Do you ever think about that in the context of your parents, not just now, your parents' current day, but your parents' journey, your parents' existence in the U.S., your parents trying to make it in the U.S.? You know, Do you ever think about that in the context of AAPI discrimination and how that may have looked for them? Yeah, and thank you so much for creating some space to to share about my family and my parents. It's so special to think about them at my age now, coming to America, newly married, um, straight from Taiwan, you know, barely knowing the lang- the English language and having to learn that and navigate things here and I think in many, many ways, my family and our immigration story, we were very fortunate and there were so many blessings. 
And also, I think for my family, as I imagine for a lot of people's families, it was very much a story of survival, right? So many things that they experienced coming here that maybe now we could more clearly name as hate or discrimination for them was like, we have to put up with this and deal with this just to survive and to make it out here and to sacrifice so that we can build a better life for our children. Um, And as an adult now, my mom is like my best friend and it's been really beautiful actually for us to like be friends as adults. And I feel like every day I actually get to see more and more of my mom for like who she is, not just for being my mom, right? Not just the person who sacrificed and raised me and cooked my meals every day, even though she was tired and forced me to go to Chinese school on Fridays, which was social suicide at the time, but to really see my mom for who she is and I see how now there's so many ways that she is rewriting and reclaiming her identity and who she is and the ways that society told her when she was 27, 28, coming to the U.S., learning this whole new world, the the pieces of her that she also had to tuck away um, and the pieces of her that even, you know, when she was in Taiwan and culturally there that she was told, like, this is who you need to be as 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 a wife, as an Asian woman. And then what that context looked like once she got here to America. It's been really illuminating for me, I think, to see that and also really hopeful for me to see how, you know, this change that we're hoping to see, like, of course hate and racism, discrimination against the AAPI community and against a lot of other historically oppressed communities, still very real, still so much work to be done. But I also see how within just one generation between my mom, my dad, and me, there's been so much growth and so much change that while theirs was more of a story of surviving, mine has been a story of of thriving, right? Of taking the sacrifices that they've made and giving me the ability to make choices that will allow me to be abundant, to thrive, to be able to explore who I am, to be able to explore and heal like generational wounds and personal wounds that, yeah, when my family came here, they didn't have that luxury. They just had to keep it pushing. Um, so whenever I, I think about that and, and think of my parents and the sacrifice they make, or they made and continue to make. Um, actually, for me, it is a really big story of of hope and really inspires me in the work that I continue to do also. Well, I think you've just reminded all of us that we really should just go and call our mothers tonight. <laughs> Tell yes, them definitely. Um, I wanted to ask you finally, there, there are many folks who are listening who may not be a part of the AAPI community. Um, and some people who may not even have friends um, or people in their network who are from the AAPI community, what are some things that you feel like those folks can do? And I know that you do some of this in your professional work as well, but how can they be an ally or an advocate? How can they step up? How can they um, learn more? Yeah, definitely. And I think I'm so grateful to listen for a change because I think this is so core to what you all do in the mission of your work, which is get to know us as people and as individuals. You know, there's a lot of big social movements and things happening in the world, 
there is a lot of like wokeness culture that is happening right now. Um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, like all of these things that I think get painted in really broad strokes a lot of times and can be really polarizing. But I think when you really get to know someone as an individual, hear their stories, share meals with them, get to know their families, it moves so far beyond just the news stories that are happening, right? The, and the things that often have that make it to the news are the deepest and heaviest traumas and pain for our communities. And those are valid, those stories, and so many more stories deserve to be held and to be seen, and I'm grateful for that. And our communities are also so much bigger, so much more complex. I think one of the biggest um, challenges as an AAPI community or Asian American Pacific Islander community is that in that one short phrase, AAPI, we are encompassing nearly 50 different cultures and countries and people's individual unique experiences of being both Asian and American. And so it really is in getting to know us and, you know, the collective us and getting to know me, getting to know you, Ty, getting to know other Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in their communities. I think you also get to really hear and understand the nuances of what we've all gone through. Because while I, I hope my story resonates with other women out there, I also recognize that as an East Asian woman, my experience is going to be very different um, than another AAPI person out there, um, and maybe even different from another East Asian woman. And so I think really getting to know us, believing us and our stories, and when we're saying that these things are real and that they're present for us, um, is huge. And in building those relationships, I think we are really creating that deep, sustainable change that we hope to see in these larger social movements, right? It's more than just donating once to an organization or showing up to a protest. Like those things are important. They all need to be happening, but I think it's really forming those deep relationships and connections, being in community where we start to see that change where we're able to hold each other accountable and have these difficult conversations. I know that's where some of my most meaningful relationships and have come from and that have really informed me and my work and my understanding of kind of bigger social contexts um, and movements. So yeah, ultimately TLDR, go make a friend, go make a true friend, connect, be in community together. I love that. And you and telling your story has made me be able to connect with your experience a little bit more. And thank you for the call out with Listen for a Change and being a part of it, because without your story and without the stories of people out there, we don't have the opportunities to connect with people on a deeper level, right? Um, you chose a nonprofit to represent and to raise awareness for, um, along with your story. Can you tell us a little bit more about the nonprofit you chose um, and their mission and how folks can engage with that nonprofit? Yeah, absolutely. So the nonprofit I chose is very near and dear to my heart. It's called Hate is a Virus. We are a grassroots nonprofit organization that is really committed to erasing hate and racism against the AAPI community. It started back in 
um, mid-2020, kind of really to address the rise of all of the anti-Asian violence that we were seeing because of COVID-19 and very quickly, I think, became more than just a movement, but really became focused on addressing deeper systemic issues that impact the AAPI community and therefore, you know, a lot of historically oppressed communities. Um, We've done really amazing work through our um, community action fund where we're fundraising money to be able to give back directly to grassroots nonprofit AAPI organizations. Um, We are really focused on mobilizing and amplifying the voices of the AAPI community um, and in a really nuanced way. So also true to podcast life, we also recently launched a podcast called Real Talk Unfiltered, and it's our way of being able to give voice to to just like the diversity and the breadth of the AAPI community um, and really bringing awareness to it. Um, our real focus is supporting everyone in figuring out like where they're at in their personal justice journey and how their stories and experiences connect to this larger AAPI movement. So um, ways that people can get involved, um, I would say definitely donating to our community action fund. Um, We're really grateful for the ways that the AAPI community across the nation has really come together. We've raised over a million dollars just in the last year um, and given back to over 70 nonprofit organizations in really meaningful and sustainable ways. Um, We're also in this next year hoping to put out more community events and um, yeah, events, workshops, trainings, just to even more deeply engage the public and in our community in this work. And it's hateisavirus.org, right? Yes, that's right. And then on Instagram? Um, Also hate is a virus. Awesome. Because you know everyone's on the Insta these days. Everybody's on the gram. It's where you get your news, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) The Uh, most reliable. I I just want to thank you again, Christine, for sharing your story, for the work that you do um, in your professional life and the communities that you engage and you activate and you support. Um, It really is inspiring. And as an Asian American person myself, I can just say that I look to you and a lot of the people in your network um, just as like, what's going on in the community? How, how can I be more engaged? So thank you for that. Um, and then thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you, Ty, for holding this space and for the community that you've created for us to share our stories as well. And um, yeah, for us to be able to bring like a piece of our, our full selves um, to share. So thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor. Of course, it was an honor to have you as well. Be well. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for listening. If you liked our show, please be sure to check out listenchange.org to learn about our storytelling workshops. And please rate and subscribe Listen for a Change wherever you get your podcasts. Our production team for this episode was Tunde Damarin and Momo Kaneda. I'm Tai Chu, and remember, a story untold is simply a thought.